This is In the Booth with Chuck. Hello, hello. On today's episode of In the Booth with Chuck, I'm joined by an old friend, Tyler Dunn, also from at um, T Dunn SF Giants on <laughs> Twitter, because apparently he wants to hide that he's into soccer these days. That's true. I'm, I'm hiding away from all the Manchester United fans. You know, they're all mad at me because I support the Glazers, other sporting team. And they hate that. So I have gone rogue and I've gone to my baseball team for the end of the handle. We've gone rogue, folks. We've gone rogue. Apparently you can't be a fan of baseball or American football on Twitter. Was there any specific event that um, was the tipping point to this? Because I feel like these sometimes end up being some pretty interesting stories. To be honest with you, there wasn't like one instance, as we both know, especially like we go to sleep and then British people and people in the UK and people in Europe are awake. So we're asleep. We wake up and then like you're in like 40 different people's mentions and it's like, how the hell did I end up here? And then they tell you this, you're that. So I was like, you know what? We'll just get out of the drama. We'll just get away from the drama. We got the champagne reds, as you mentioned at the top. That's a Twitter handle. We got MUF Chicago, who I do the podcast for. So I kind of get my little, you know, my comments in on those sites. And yeah, then I can keep that kind of the personal account personal. And then I can just talk baseball like an old white guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is true. You're not getting any younger these days. Um, nope. Yeah. And so I know you were mentioning that you have um, both the, the Champagne's Red podcast and you're invited, you're involved with um, the United Supporters Group. And um, Chicago, but yeah. um, you don't live in Chicago currently, so you doing no, anything local? Uh, locally, it's been kind of rough here in Orlando, especially with the pandemic. And Florida is—you go on social media, you <laughs> Florida is a wild place. Where I live at Orange County, I live 25 minutes away from Disney World. So when little girls and little boys go to the most magical place in the world. I, I can hear the fireworks when they're seeing the castle every single night. I can hear it from my house. But in some counties, it's the wild, wild west, and you wouldn't realize there's a pandemic going on for almost two years, and then you're in other counties, and it's like, this is a pandemic. we got to be safe. So it's kind of the wild, wild west down here in good old central Florida. So in it, you know, some places are open, some restaurants aren't open. So it's kind of been one of those things, even with the Ronaldo buzz, people are trying to get back into the swing of it and the thick of it. But it's just so hard with, you know, your local spots closed or your local spots don't want to do certain stuff until, you know, later in the afternoon when there's more business, more consistent business. So that's kind of been the the issue down here in central Florida currently. Yeah, I mean, that has been a really big thing, especially with um, the early games where mm. either like your local soccer bar doesn't exist anymore or yep. it's like, um, yeah, so... There used to be 20 of you coming for the 7 a.m. match, but now there's like five. So it's not actually worth it for me to open up for you anymore. 
Yep. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, and that's the big issue is that people are just being safer. Those early kickoffs, could you imagine being on the West Coast? I mean, there was bars that were staying open, you know, till till 4.30 in the morning just for the game. And at 6.30, they close it down for like a half hour, an hour, switch out their team, and then you have everyone for the morning kickoffs. So it's kind of one of those interesting things. And hopefully on the other side, more people are more comfortable going outside and more of these businesses can pick up and we can get more of those early kickoffs, 7.30 here on the East Coast. We can get more people going and being more comfortable. Because at the end of the day, comfortability and safety is what matters for all supporters. Definitely. And I've only experienced um, that uh, 4.30 West Coast kickoff once. And um, literally just from that, I could I could never live out there. Because um, And the funny thing is I wasn't even completely on the West Coast. Just Arizona likes to march to the tune of, tune of its own drum. Yep. And um, I had to wake up for a 4.30... Liverpool versus Sheffield United match. That sounds miserable. Yep. Two teams. Not two teams, <laughs> not two teams I want to wake up at 434. I don't care if they're paying me all the Golden King touch to them. I am not waking up at 430 for, for <laughs> any Liverpool game or any Sheffield United game. Yeah, there are, I are think definitely. Burnley would be maybe number 20 on the list of like, if I had to pick a Premier League club not to watch, I think Burnley is like top set list for a 430 kickoff. So it's, like, bless your heart if you're a Burnley fan. Like, I couldn't watch that shit. It's funny because, like, I mean, I think on that um, teams I would prefer not to watch, like, realistically, both Burnley and historically Crystal Palace has been one of those teams. They're at least a little more fun so far this year. That's true. That's true. I mean, I'm excited to see Patrick Vieira, what he can kind of conjure up there. Because obviously Premier League legends are kind of in vogue, real Premier League legends. Because there's another Premier League legend, and he's 20th in the in the Premier League currently, and he's not even a real <laughs> Premier League legend. But he's 20th right now, and he's. I mean, I'm, I was told this is the this guy knew everything. He was the smartest man in the land. He stole all of Pep's tricks, and he was going to make it better. But I don't know about you. I'm looking at my cat right now, Lucy. It's not so good. Negative nine goal differential with zero goals. Apparently, they build superstars over there at the Emirates, but I can't name one off the top of my head. Sorry, stop. I think you're pretty good. Like, you deserve better than that shit. Hey, at least I, I'm not the one I'm firing up the mic and bashing Arsenal today, so... I mean, just give, give, me, give, me, oh, give me the lowest degree golf club in the bag. I'll bash it 300 yards down the down the fairway for you chuck no I and mean, it's just unfortunate because it it's just it's too easy um i will we'll see what ends up happening but it's pretty clear that arteta can't be there that. that much longer oh no no they got to keep it they're american owners we don't you don't fire midway through the season you gotta let them stretch it out until re- relegations really could happen and then you fire them <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> but so so that we get don't get too far into um this being a punching bag um for people who don't know you since i mean we've known each other for quite a few years yeah. now um how'd you end up getting into podcasting and what other um work in sports have you done over the years all right so we'll let's we'll start at the beginning so 
podcasting, I mean, it's grown, it's boomed over the last, I would say, four to six years, give or take probably 2017, 2018. It's really boomed off from there. I mean, everybody, you know, the joke is everybody's got a podcast now. <laughs> but before there was a Tyler Dunn soccer show, there was a Tyler Dunn radio show on WCRX 88.1 FM Chicago. And that manifested, that radio show, that one-hour talk show on Monday nights from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, what manifested from that was I was pushing, we should do a soccer show, I should do a soccer show, I could do this. And, you know, the whole MUFC Chicago and all of the all of the stuff that goes in with that uh, it all started with me networking with all these bars and knowing all their presidents and being invited to go all to these pubs. And this was back in 2013, 2014. American Outlaws, people know who they are. They're like the supporters group of the U.S. men's national team. So it all kind of manifested for me making these contacts and saying, hey, I can get this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy to come on the radio show. And sometimes we would do live radio interviews in the studio or sometimes I would cut it up. You know, I would do like a 40-minute podcast interview, cut it up into like a 21-minute interview, put the commercial breaks and everything in and just run a long 21-minute interview. And then you'd have your topics, right, you know, start off with the Premier League. And then, you know, you have the time. We had the, the final two-minute stoppage time, some stupid shit like that that I came up with for the <laughs> final five minutes. I called it stoppage time, and we made this, these whistles. So everything started on the radio. And the original show I did was a Saturday morning sports talk radio show from 9 to 12 on Saturdays leading into the college football uh, kickoffs. And I did that with a guy who's now a bartender at a strip club. That was an interesting, that was an interesting, <laughs> but how I got into on his radio show and I took over his radio show. That's a story for another time. And then I've worked for the Bulls as a consultant in social media and PR I worked uh, selling raffle tickets for the Chicago Cubs and for the Chicago Fire. So I've worked for every sports team in Chicago except the Chicago White Sox. Professional. I should preface that professional team because there's a lot of sports teams. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty impressive. And unfortunately, um, the Fire are the worst team that you've worked for. (laughs) I, I I have horror stories from people that were interns there. I had an internship lined up and the guy I worked with at the Bulls we were selling raffle tickets so I worked for the Bulls selling raffle tickets and then I got an internship with the Bulls doing PR uh, in public relations so basically you, you go to the Ronald McDonald house their charity events and you just help run events that was the, basically the internship and it's like oh you run these events for the Chicago Bulls here's a jacket here's a, a polo shirt and you just represent the Bulls and dress nice but yeah he told me they had a painting in office this guy worked for the worked as an intern and they had him painting office rooms during his internship for the Chicago fire. <laughs> oh yeah. It, you're just oh, hearing stuff man. Like, Oh yeah, I would go here and you would expect this. And until they got Bastian Schweinsteiger, they were really the biggest joke of a franchise in MLS. And everyone thought, Oh, they got the German legend. This would work out. He well, came they're they're going to win the world cup. They were going to win the world cup. If you believe the media members and the questions they asked, but yeah, the Chicago Fire, I have enough horror stories about working there that would uh, probably earn me some text messages and emails that wouldn't be too nice. But yeah, so it all started from the radio show, went to the podcast, and then I kind of took a year. You know, the pandemic happened. There's a lot going on. I work in the medical business now. So it's kind of like you're working 12, 14 hour days trying to help our clients with COVID and 
getting them their supplies, making sure they're safe and happy with everything they're doing. So I kind of took a little break and now, you know, Ronaldo kind of helped it, but it's kind of generated more of that positivity buzz in the podcasting world, especially around United where, uh, as you probably understand, Arsenal Fan TV kind of was what everybody was trying to go for for a while. Everyone wanted to be the next Arsenal Fan TV or United Stand, and they wanted hot takes, clicky. You know, you're generating these negativity, and it's kind of, you know, football Twitter kind of got really negative there. So you kind of had to take a step back, and now with Champagne Reds, you know, you know, the best football team in the land, as we all like to say on our <laughs> What's that, Chuck? I mean, yeah. my striker, my striker didn't just walk out for a month and couldn't play while the rest of this club, his uh, international teammates, went back to work. It's okay. It's mm. not. It's not his team anymore. That's that's true. Until they. Uh... Anyways, we'll we'll talk about <laughs> it. Anyways, but yeah, it all kind of manifested from there. Now we got Champagne Reds, and if you're a big Manchester United fan, you'll thoroughly enjoy it. It's a lot of kind of like this conversation shit talking the other teams and you know complimenting our players and talking about all the fun stuff sometimes the glory years because when we shit you know you talk the glory years ask arsenal fans have been doing it for a decade now definitely and um i mean and realistically like even that like this year in general with um like the fact that you don't have the slow drip of games the fact that (laughs) fans are back in the stands you can already see like the positivity Mm-hmm. just o- overall around anyone supporting soccer like it's um because like at a cer- at a certain point like even just watching those games without fans just felt like a giant grind oh it absolutely did and you know you would turn on but just give an example liverpool versus sheffield united especially if it's sheffield united at home you know those fans have looked for years and years to face liverpool for example and then you take them out of that environment, and it's so sterile. And we watched so many home teams drop points this past Premier League season because that home fan advantage is true. And, I mean, it allowed away teams to kind of play more like a home team because they just had better players. There wasn't this anxiety in the players. You rush that pass one second later. As you mentioned, the word sterile was a really good way to looking at it. And the poor quality teams – you know, on their day, the crowd's bumping and, you know, the beach balls are out and everyone's celebrating the party favors are out and you pull off a 3-2 victory with a bunch of long balls and set pieces and you had no right to win. You kind of steal that away and that adrenaline and momentum, it really hurt the smaller clubs or the clubs without as much quality. That momentum of the fans, it really took it away. Definitely. And to have a bad- Definitely. And I mean, and you saw, like, I mean, literally day one of the premier league season um when brentford took down arsenal like you immediately saw like what fans back in the stands meant and Mm -hmm. you continue to see it i mean i was already running some numbers earlier that basically home field advantage is back um with i mean i I'm going to stall for a second while I pull up no, the actual numbers. But well, you, it was, I remember seeing something and it was like almost a half a point was the difference between like the, you know, 2019, 2020, and then the pandemic season at 20 and 21. 
Yeah, the away teams are allowing almost an entire goal per game more um, because it's the average is 1.07 goals allowed for the home team and mm-hmm. 1.77 goals allowed for away teams. Also doesn't help that Arsenal and Norwich really got thumped by City in their revenge games. I mean, that's fine. City's going to do that to a lot of teams. That's true, except United when we beat them with their best generational talent player that didn't want to stay under Pep Guardiola. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, I mean, obviously you're here to mainly um, talk about United. So... Mm -hmm. um, and especially when it comes into fandom stories here in America, they can sometimes take some interesting turns since obviously um, we're not going to as many games directly as people who are in Europe and may not mm-hmm. have the um, sim- similar connections to clubs, which of course mm-hmm. leads to us being called plastic fans. Um, which is a story for another day because it is completely possible to be a true fan of a team without having stepped in their stadium. Um, That's true. Especially in America, there's a lot of Yankee fans that have never been to Yankee Stadium. Well, that's a little different. Um, (laughs) But um, what's your United story? So United, I mean, I'm first generation Irish American, so my family didn't come here until JFK became president. That was when everyone from back home thought, hey, us Irish people, we can make it now. Let's go to America. And then he got assassinated the same year my my grandparents came to this country. So, like, exactly, Lucy, not a great look for us. <laughs> we should have just gone back home. We should have realized we're not liked. We should have just gone back where everybody was at. But, yeah, so back over there, uh, half of the family was Liverpool fans. Half the family was Manchester United fans. And oh, I God. That are the <laughs> Manchester United fans. We had a cousin that married into the O'Reillys, and the O'Reillys were a big uh, faction. They were big, big, big Liverpool fans. But in the portion of the family I'm from, we grew up United fans. My grandfather used to go over in the 50s and 60s to go see United play. And then after the Munich air disaster, they became such a phenomenon and they became kind of like everybody's second team. Even if you weren't a United fan, I mean, because rivalries are a little bit different now. They're a little bit more intense because of the 70s and 80s and 90s. But, you know, when the Munich air disaster happened, everyone kind of had a soft spot for United. Everyone it was kind of like everyone's second team. You would hear it in America. It's like, oh, my favorite team is this. But like, I got a soft spot for this team. United kind of became that because they had that true underdog story about them and then the adversity and then when they won the European Cup uh, Georgie Best they've always had this huge you know Irish influence on the team Roy Keane for example as well the most decorated captain in team history there's always been a great Irish impact Paul McGrath who was a tremendous center back for United and Aston Villa so that's kind of always been the way for, for my family, it's just kind of that Irish influence and, you know, kind of helps that one of the greatest players in the United States history is an Irish guy. And, you know, my grandfather being a big Irish fan, you know, being Irish, obviously, it's kind of makes it that way. But fortunately for us, we've never had one that make it through the club. We've had a couple of people with the same last name as us, but they had, didn't make the grade. But there's another guy who played for Manchester City, and he held the record for uh, most on goals in Premier League history, and Richard Dunn. So <laughs> no, re- no relation that I'm aware of, but he loved to put the ball on his own net. It's okay. It's soon soon enough, um, Lewis Dunk will pass him. 
<laughs> Record breaker, baby. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, also just going on that same vein, uh, I'm sure you were going through quite the roller coaster with um, the Cristiano Ronaldo news originally with it seeming like um, he was heading to the other side of Manchester, even though uh, that was clearly a smokescreen. Uh, mm-hmm. But what was your like reaction to those, the news that he would be returning? Those 72 hours, it's kind of interesting because I had my little cousin, Brendan. He's not much of a soccer fan, football fan. It's, he's not really into it. But like when a Messi makes a move or a Ronaldo makes a move, you know, that pops up on their kind of radar, especially if you're not a soccer fan in America. But everybody knows Messi. They know Ronaldo. It's like Maradona and Pele of this generation. Everybody knows who they are or David Beckham, even though he's not as talented as them. But Bex is Bex, and he, he's he's the eye candy baby. <laughs> but I got a text message from him, and he's like, oh, Ronaldo's going to, to City. And I said, nah, I, I don't really think so. I think it's just a smokescreen to try to get someone else to come after him or get a, you know, try to get a, a pay raise. But Mendez showed, I mean, his agent, Jorge Mendez, he showed if you really want to get your client out of a club that he doesn't want to be in, he knew how to touch all those right buttons. He knew how to kind of smoke grenade it to the left. You know, hey, City's going. And then you hear the stories of Rio Ferdinand up until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning saying, come on, bro. What are you doing, bro? And then Sir Alex got a wind of it. I mean, if Sir Alex doesn't make that phone call, badger him on the phone, tell him to go back. Does he end up at City? Probably, because those were the only two options for him. He wasn't going to PSG. Yeah, my and- my favorite thing of the whole saga was um, when it's like, um, yeah, so Ronaldo and Mendez are on a jet. They supposedly don't have a destination, but they'll figure it out by the time they land. It's a hell of, it's a hell of an idea. You rent this private plane, and no one knows where you're going. Besides the fact that Juventus has told everybody that you're not in the squad and the international break's coming up. It was so bizarre. Like, everyone was, like, freaking out about it. We don't know where he's going. It's like, he's going to Portugal. How is that? How did you not realize he's going to Portugal? Like, where else is he going to go? Is he going to go to Spain? No. Is he going to go? He's going to stay in Italy? No. Is he going to go to England? No. I mean, that was, I think, my favorite part about this whole, like, saga thing was, like, Ronaldo has, like, one thing that he cares about more than anything else, and it's his legacy. And I don't think he would have tarnished that legacy by going to City. I mean, he's kindly, he really reminds me of LeBron James and Michael Jordan in that aspect. The legacy is important. The impact that he has on certain teams, it's important to him. Like, he would never go to Barcelona because that would tarnish his Real Madrid legacy. And, I mean, he has every major important record goal-scoring-wise at Real Madrid. He wouldn't go to Barcelona and ruin that. So he really only had one place to go. And once United said, hey, we're going to pay for you, we're going to give you this contract, it kind of was the end of the deal. But all the side stories of Rio and Sir Alex and stuff like that being leaked out, I mean – who knows what really happened? I mean, if you believe Rio Ferdinand and he had that shit-eating grin because that's Rio for you. Yeah, man, I, I was the reason why. I mean, Rio's yeah, on social media. Like, put his sunglasses on, cheesy as hell. Love Rio. 
he's one of my favorite players. So, like, I'm thrilled if Rio Ferdinand wants to take the credit for it, even though we all know Sir Alex really did the heavy lifting on that. More power to Rio Ferdinand. Well, and there's also and, been rumors coming out that, like, this move was in the works for, like, over a month. Um, that basically uh, Ronaldo said he was coming back in the summer. And then this whole thing was just orchestrated for the easiest way to get him out of Juventus. I mean, Jorge Mendez, if it, if you know, see, here's the thing with United. It's a very interesting thing, the dynamics of when they first had the regime shift from, from David Gill to Ed Woodward, who got hoodwinked over signing a player with fake people showing up saying that we represent a player from Spain. I think that was Tiago, if I remember correctly. He got hoodwinked, or, or Fabregas. I don't remember which one it was, but people pretended to represent a player. To getting Ronaldo, I mean, it's you really got to cap it off Fred Woodward. He went from one scale to the other scale, and apparently he's stepping down. And what a way to step down with your final signing being Cristiano Ronaldo. But if they had it orchestrated a month ago, and those are the stories that are out there, then like all power to United for keeping that on the books and having that quiet for that long. Because in today's today's media and today's world, keeping something quiet for that long, it's nearly impossible. Because everybody's got a leak, everyone's got a squeaky wheel. Uh, that's why the have- um, the the Danny Ink signing was one of the signings of the season. Like you literally blinked, and he moved from Southampton to Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. His, his signing's pretty interesting, and I know you probably have discussed this before. I don't think he's a luxury signing by any stretch of the imagination, but I kind of like Ollie Watkins. I thought he was doing a great enough job to kind of lead the line, but you know, a guy goes down with an injury and you have a hundred million pounds in the bank and you want to have that extra reinforcement on the front line, more power to you. Yeah. And Can't I mean, go wrong. Yeah. I'm definitely interested to see how Dean Smith is going to end up using them together. Now that Watkins is back because mm-hmm. Obviously, like Villa has been struggling, you kind of expect that because replacing Jack Grealish is not an easy thing. And then mm-hmm. also with um, the fact that like Leon Bailey hasn't really been available yet, um, mm-hmm. they're really just gonna. I mean, this game week is gonna be the first time that they've had really most of their first team ready mm-hmm. to go. Well, it'll be kind of interesting to see how the whole Valbuena situation down in Argentina, Brazil situation, how that works out if they let them leave the country, the four Premier League players. Uh, so, have- yeah, for Argent- Argentina, because unfortunately I have to pay attention to this because two of the players who were stuck um, play for Spurs. Um <laughs> They have left to go to their little um, quarantine day camp in Croatia. Oh, nice! So, so how long are Croatia for? Are they missing this week's match? Yeah, so they're gonna they're gonna miss um th- this week's match. So for Spurs against Palace, and then they're also gonna miss like um, Spurs's Europa Conference League match. Villa just has the one match. Um, and then they should be available for the next match after that. Um, not sure where David and Sanchez is these days because, um, as far as I'm aware, he is still with Colombia. Um, so he could potentially end up missing 
Chelsea, which won't be fun because he's actually had a really good start to the season. Um, and could be, be like my club and just tell all the South Americans they can't go and have fun with their South American teammates. Well, that's so that's what I really I really want to hear more about what actually happened with this stuff because it originally seemed like teams gave their blessings for these players to go and Mm -hmm. then now it's like reports are coming out that like spurs didn't give um romero and la celso permission so they're gonna get fined when they get back well i yeah i know Oli was asked a question about cavani and he says just remember who pays you i know where my loyalty lies just remember who pays you and then they all decided not to go after that comment came out. So, like, more power to Fred. Love Fred. I love the pastor. He played a lot of games for Brazil. He made it to a semifinal. He played, like, nine games for Brazil. He could take, like, three matches off for him. Yeah, I feel I feel bad for, for Cavani. Um, losing his minutes, um, his number. Hey, this is a good thing. So, spin zone, he wasn't. I mean, last year he wasn't fit all the time. I mean, he's a 34-year-old guy who understands, like, hey, I I can't carry the load. Ronaldo's the same way. He thought he was being depended on too much by Juventus. And you got to you got to manage these guys. It doesn't matter how good of an athlete you are. Once you get up there in age, you can't. You got to manage your fitness. You got to manage your minutes. And I think Cavani's going to have a huge impact on games. I mean, if he was available for Southampton, look at it last year, the reverse fixture. We were 2-1 down. He comes on. He scores two goals because he can – he plays that center forward position better than anybody at United. And then once you get him and Ronaldo on the same field with Sancho and with Mason Greenwood and Bruno, there's a lot of options and a lot of smart footballers. And I think Cavani's going to have his most impactful season for United in his two seasons. And I hopefully we can end it with a nice cherry on top for Mr. Cavani before he goes back to South America and be with his family. But I think he's going to have a big impact. I think he has a lot to offer even though it looks like the window might be a little closed on him, I think there's a French striker who's more his minutes will dwindle because of this more oh, than. I mean, he doesn't exist to me. Oh, Martial, he doesn't exist to you no more. Nope. He has a whole, he has a whole Twitter. He has a whole Twitter. It's Martial FC. You should go join it sometime. <laughs> they get really angry when you tell them like, "Hey, man, he's not as good as a striker because he can't use his left foot." He's too. He's too one-dimensional. He's Dan. He's Dan James, out of form basically. Last like six months, Dan James has been more impactful for United than Anthony Martial. And you're you're not you're not wrong. Um, no. With with United signings, because I mean, coming into the season, they were essentially pegged as being the third or fourth best team um, mm-hmm. in England. Um, are these signings enough to raise their ceiling to, above that? Or is the fact that um, they still did not sign a defensive midfielder um, just uh, not addressing the elephant in the room? See, it's a very interesting one because I feel like the elephant in the room was that right wing position, which they finally fulfilled with Sancho because... For the longest of time, they really lacked a true right winger for years and years. I mean, it was Antonio Valencia, and then Bengal said, hey, you're going to be a right back. And then no one played right wing for like a half a decade for us. 
So, I mean, that was the big one for me personally. And then Victor Lindelof, I mean, it's unfortunate for him. I mean, he's not a bad center back by any stretch of the imagination. But Rafael Varane is a different caliber <laughs> of player. And, I mean, it sucks for Victor Lindelof. It's, he's not a terrible player. He just, he's prone to that one major mistake a game that, you know, for United got capitalized more than most teams in the Premier League. And he's always kind of been that, the victim of that kind of mistake. Well, yeah, and that's one of, one of the things, like, when you're a center back like Lindelof, you can't play next to a marauder like Harry Maguire. Yes. You need to, you need to have a guy that understands that role, but if you're Victor Lindelof, you were the Harry Maguire in your team. I mean, we've seen his assist for the Bruno Fernandez goal in the first game of the season. He's a great passer of the ball. It's just he's not good at being that cleaner, to be that sweeper. And, I mean, that's everyone says Varane is like a Rio Ferdinand in that aspect. He's got the pace. He's got the power. He's got the ability. He glides across the pitch. And Vidic in his heyday next to Rio Ferdinand was that enforcer – steps up can be more physical and we've seen in that and the game against wolves they were kind of pinching a little bit higher up and that can spell a lot of success for united and you mentioned the elephant in the room it's that central midfield and it's complicated for united it really is complicated they have a lot of high hopes for a kid named um, james gardner he's down in the championship his second spell down in the championship with Forrest. he's very rated highly he's a good passer of the ball you have Matic, who, you know, the rumor was Mourinho might want a reunion with him, didn't go for him. So you're kind of stuck with all these players, and it's, you know, you couldn't get rid of anyone because of the market. And for United, who is really that guy? I mean, I'm a big Neves fan. I think he would have been great in that role. But I think everyone's going to be in this war chest for Declan Rice. But the reality is, is that United are either going to spend the big money on Declan Rice or Holland next summer. That's what you, that's the reality of the situation. If, if United signs Holland, that would just be disgusting because um any any I mean anything else blocking Mason Greenwood at the 9 would actually make me mad. Like I can at least understand that if you can get Ronaldo, you get Ronaldo. Ronaldo yep. can help Mason Greenwood be a better 9. Um, And that with Sancho, now Greenwood won't have to play on the wing because he's not a winger. He is a striker. He needs to be in the center of that team. Yeah, he's a striker that's talented enough to play on that right wing because he's so two-footed and he's so, you know, ambidextrous with his feet that he can be impactful there, but it's just not his natural natural gig by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but, But, yeah, like... I'm, yeah, I'm, re- I'm really just hoping that Holland doesn't end up at United because that would suck. But unfortunately, that would mean that then his most likely destination, unless Lewandowski leaves, becomes Manchester City, which yeah. sucks just as much, if not more. So to get back to your original question about the signings, the central midfield, that's an issue. It'll be interesting to see how Ole kind of tinkers his team because now you have Ronaldo. Now you have this absolute killer of a finisher in Cristiano Ronaldo. Does he play the two dynamic forwards? Does he put Pogba and Bruno behind 
and then you put Fred or McTominay in that six position and you play a single pivot because that's kind of where you're at right now. It's kind of, you're not going to play a basic 4-4-2. You don't have the personnel to play that 4-4-2. So you're going to do kind of a 4-3-3. Do you have Ronaldo play on that left? And then you put Mason through the middle in some games, or you have Cavani go through the middle with Ronaldo on the left. You have a lot of interesting options, and it'll be interesting to see how that kind of works out. And, you know, Donnie Vanderbeek did an interview today on uh, Real Ferdinand's YouTube page, and he was talking about how in this system he thinks he could be a really good six or a very good eight. So that could be yeah, a very we'll see, we'll see that. <laughs> There's some interesting options, and I wonder with the Ronaldo move, if he does go more offensive with his approach. I mean, he's got a solidified back four. I mean, it's one of the best in the Premier League and in the world. I mean, you have a midfield, that's the issue. But if you eliminate a McTominay, you know, Fred midfield, and you just go to a single pivot, and then you just put Pogba and Bruno ahead, it should be it'll be interesting but do i think they signed the good enough quality players yes because city don't have a true number nine if you're banging on gabriel jesus to get you 20 premier league goals you're sadly mistaken if you're expecting fernand torres to be that number nine you're sadly mistaken and i mean city had two good performances against two let's be honest the 19th and 20th team in the premier league currently so we take that with a grain of salt because they did lose their first game of the season, and then they played two teams that are haven't won a game, and between the two of them conceded 18 and only scored once. So I look at them, I look at United, and I think, did they improve on what they were last year? Yes. Did City regress a little bit? Yes. Kevin De Bruyne, if he goes through that injury malaise again, does it give the pack a chance? Yes. And then you look at Chelsea with Lukaku. I do think he's a great striker, but I don't think he's an elite striker. I think he shows up for the big games, or he shows up for the smaller games, but he goes missing in the big games. When he's got to go up against center backs that are aggressive and challenge him technically, he struggles. I mean, I watched it for two years. It's what like, it's like an old saying I heard at one of the pubs when Lukaku is our striker. It's the hope that kills you. And he's a lot of hope because you see all those numbers, but he'll kill you in those games against United, against City, against Liverpool. When the game gets tight, he's going to struggle. I mean, there's a reason why Belgium can win those quarterfinals at the World Cup and in the Euros. And then that semifinal happens. And I look out there and I'm not seeing Lukaku at all. I'm, I'm staring into the abyss. So, I mean, I, some of some, but some of that issue is similar for Belgium. Actually, they're they're realistically a really good comp for United, um, because you have that similar issue with um, just defenders and not having the strongest central midfield that you can have. Um, because I like most most of my feeling with how things are set up at this moment is that like. United is going to put some teams to the sword, obviously, once they, like, get everything going. That's yep. That just goes without saying. Um, but as we saw with that Fred and Pogba midfield, um, which unfortunately we are going to see more times this year because um, Scott McTominay, <laughs> but Scott McTominay has not been able to consistently stay healthy. The hope is that he would, because if it's McTominay and Pogba, 
United will most likely be fine. Yeah, um, they figured out how to work that dynamic. It's Fred. It's Fred and Pogba that it's just it's oil and water for some apparent reason, and I don't understand why. But every time Fred plays with Pogba in the midfield, his passing is terrible. I don't know why that is, but when he plays with with Matic, apparently he's a great passer. But when he plays with Pogba, he's like, "Oh, I should do the same stuff Pogba does." Oh yeah, it's I mean, like, it's kind of, it's yeah, it's a, it's actually it's like pretty hilarious to look at because it's like you don't understand why Fred is doing what he's doing because he can be a good player. He just can't be a good player next to Pogba, um, yeah. and with. Matic getting slower and slower. I mean, he might as well be a third center back these days. I mean, he is like that that steam engine boat that was in South Africa that got stuck. That's Matic these days. He's kind of just stuck there, and we're trying to get him out, but he keeps on backing up. It's like the Dr. Evil scene in Austin Powers when he's got the little cart in the hallway sideways, and he can't, <laughs> he can't That's Matic. I mean, seriously, everyone kind of laughs at it, but it's true. He, he's he's just not that guy. I mean, don't even put him at center back. I mean, whew, in the Premier League nowadays, good lord, we'd be cooking that dude like he's lunch. <laughs> but yeah, it, I mean, United they've improved, but it's really everyone that kind of thinks you know, all oh, Van Dyke's back for Liverpool, they're back to being title contenders, but they did nothing. It's the same team from two years ago. You can't expect Mane and Salah to be those guys again for a whole season and to be dependent on Van Dyke to be healthy after tearing an ACL I mean it's kind of unrealistic expectations he will get tired he will get sore you'll have to manage that and I I think for Liverpool I think they're good but I do think they're the fourth best team and that's not a knock on them it's just the issue is is now the Premier League is so stacked with talent it's like when United and Liverpool and Chelsea can go and spend a hundred plus million in a pandemic, I mean it's kind of hard when all you're doing is buying a center back, and that's what Liverpool did: bought a center back, and they sold Shakir. And then everyone's like, "Oh, they're going to win the Premier League." It's like, really? You think so? I'm like, okay, more power to you. I mean, unless Salah scores 35 goals this season, I ain't seeing it happen. So, what is your top four in order right now? Right now, in order, I mean, obviously, I'm going to be biased. I, I can't help myself. It's United, and I think it's City, it's Chelsea, it's Liverpool. I mean, poor Leicester City, they'll be hanging out in the third and fourth place for, you know, 90% of the season. and no, then they won't. They get, And then the wheels to go... Because <laughs> that's the Brendan Rodgers classic, baby. Uh, we'll be there at Christmas. We'll see you at New Year's. Hi at Valentine's Day. Then St. Patrick's Day gets they get a little boozy. They take the car out for a spin. They're a little wobbly, and then the tires fall off in May. For I mean, for me, so you slide United behind Chelsea, and then that's my top four. Um, I, I, I mean, Chelsea are a very interesting one. I I mentioned this on my podcast. I think Thomas Tuchel is a great coach. That him winning the Champions League didn't surprise me because he's a tr- tremendous cup coach. He's tactically very astute. In, in a cup competition, when he's the underdog, he relishes that. But when he's expected to be the aggressor, he bottles those games. That's his history. When he's got the A team and he's got expectations, he crumbles under those expectations. But that's where, I mean, that's where Lukaku joining is going to be interesting because he has enough of a killer instinct because 
he is a different striker than he was during his time at United. Um, That's true. I do think I do think he's improved, but you saw that last Chelsea game. Where wasn't so great when the expectations are on him when there's only one person to make runs with him and he makes the wrong choices. Well, they or they he- also finished that game with ten people on the field. I mean, th- those are the realities. He, I, they I they are, but like, I mean, you. He'll be a twenty goal scorer. He will be a twenty goal scorer. But when Chelsea fans need him to show up in those big games, it won't be like last season when they magically made it to the Champions League final and they won. I just don't think he can be that guy for them. I mean, I I think considering the depth that they have and the multiple elevens um, that they'll be able to play with, that they're going to make things. Um, pretty interesting, interesting. I, I do i do like chelsea team i like the pieces they have it's just i watched lukaku for two years and then i've seen him play with inter and he had the best team in the land but when he didn't have the best team in the land with that inter team two years ago they they didn't win the league when you're the best team and the expectations are to win the league and that juventus team was pretty fucking terrible and Pirlo, bless his heart don't know how he made it all the way to the end but he saw out that adventure and he was as arrogant as ever saying we gotta play my way this is the way and it's like hey chief that ain't the way it's not working well that's the joy of being promoted directly from the u23 team after like what was it like a week on the job something ridiculous like that everybody wants to have the next pep guardiola that's that's the issue with all, all these clubs is that they're hoping that They'll get the next next pep who comes through coaching the youth team, and that voila, you win Champions Leagues. He goes to the next club. He wins Champions Leagues and titles. Well, he didn't win it, Bayern, but he won tons of titles. And he got there and got cheated a couple of times against Real Madrid. But those are just other topics for discussion. I mean, I can't. I just can't wait to see um, what Jesse Marsh ends up doing. I mean, Jesse, you know, if you look at the way everything's panning out, you get bought out at RB Leipzig when you, once the Byron coach goes somewhere else. So, yeah, I mean, for it's, America, we could go to Bayern Munich. Yeah, it's a, it's unfortunate because, I mean, I've because, because of both Marsh and Brendan Aronson, I've had to kind of bury the hatchet with um, the non-U.S.-based Red Bull teams. Because, I mean, you can't, I'm obviously I have to root for Aronson and you can't help but root for Marsh as an American because we need someone to surpass what Bob Bradley did in management and he's in the process of doing it. Mm -hmm. He's doing a great job. He's doing a tremendous job. I'm very happy for him and he plays a good brand of football too. His Salzburg teams were very, very exciting. And then, you know, you mentioned Harrison, your guys. Philly just keeps on producing. Everyone likes to talk about that FC Dallas Academy, but if you really think about it, Philly are producing top talent basically every single year. Well, you have other clubs struggling. Struggling just to get someone in the first team. You guys got dudes in the first team in Europe on a consistent basis. So, like, awesome. And the the other... United specific thing that I had um, since you're one of the few people who I haven't actually seen bashing this player left and right um, is what are your expectations on what Daniel James will bring to Leeds finally getting 
his move there that United ruined two years later. So it's interesting because Leeds ruined it originally. And then United came in that following summer and then took him. There was pictures. I mean, they were leaked. He was there. He had a January transfer to Leeds. He was in the jersey. And something happened. I don't know what happened. It fell through. The next summer, United kind of swoop in. And that's kind of the history of United. They always like getting these raw, talented, pacey wingers that have upside. Daniel James for all of his technical faults because technically he isn't the most blessed player we we can all recognize that you watch a United game you know he's always unfortunately for him he's the weak link but when you watch some of those early Ole games when he was playing against City Dan James is basically playing as a, a utility right winger or left winger in those games to give protection to the right back to Juan Basaka or to you know Luke Shaw he, for what he lacked in natural talent, he made up for with energy, desire, work rate. I mean, he had created the most chances out of any United player at the Euros for Wales. I mean, hang your hat on that. That just shows you he may have limited opportunities, but he can make the most out of what he, what he has. And I think in this Leeds team, he will get better technically. He will be more, what's the word I'm looking for? He'll have more opportunities, and he's not like he's a bad player. I mean, he scores goals. I wouldn't be surprised if he had 7 to 15 goal contributions in the Premier League. I think that's a reasonable expectation for him, and if he hits that 15 mark in goal contributions, the lead fans are going to be excited. And for a guy you signed from the championship who had less than a year of first-team football, to get him for 15, to then flop, swap him for $30 million, that's a hell of a business. And he's proven week in and week out. He may not be the best player on the pitch, but there's not many that work harder than Daniel James. And unfortunately for him, he leaves the project once it looks like there's some trophies possibly incoming. But his transfer led to Ronaldo. And United finally bequest to Leeds, who badgered us for two years to try to get him. We want him on loan. We want him. We want him. We want him. And United are like, no. But, you know, sometimes a player's got to go and they got to play. And sad to see a guy like that go because he's a hell of a worker. He's got a hell of a story. And he's going to go play in the team where the fans thought he was too shit to play for them. But now they get to have him after they had him. Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely awkward how Leeds ended up sharing, like, the original photos that they had of Daniel James during his like unveiling um but like looking back at the numbers that he's had for united like i was pretty surprised by the amount of contributions that he actually had because with the way that people including unfortunately like um since specifically a lot of times that i'm talking about players i'm using more of a fantasy lens than the actual what do they bring on the pitch um lens um, but the way that people were talking about him, you would have thought that he never contributed a thing to United. But like in year one, nine goal contributions in the league. Um, year two, only plays 15 matches, still has four goal contributions. Um, obviously, there were definitely the times when he was overmatched. But mm -hmm. like you, you have to expect that when it's a player of his age and 
coming directly from Swansea literally after just one good season. Yeah. And when it look when you talk about youth players, not everyone is going to be the 18-year-old sensation, 17-year-old sensation. Not everybody that plays professional football are the Mason Greenwoods or the Mbappes. They're not playing in big games at 17 years old or Wayne Rooney's. Sometimes you're going to be like Daniel James and your breakthrough is when you're 21. And then you get your big move at 21. And then you move from the country that you've only known to go to a different country to the biggest team, one of the biggest teams in the world in a time where they're rebuilding. And it isn't like they're Manchester United, Manchester United. They're Manchester United. We're trying to reestablish this hard work, workman's like mentality where you pick up your lunch pail, you, you punch in, you punch out, you work your socks off, you go back home. And he brought that. That was what he contributed on the pitch. I mean, he'll be interesting for fantasy people, especially in your kind of leagues where, you know, dribbles and crosses and stuff like that counts as points. Because you look at the Euros, he had almost, I think he's almost number one or number two in crosses, you know, completed crosses, and he only played four games. So, and then with Patrick Banford, I think he's going to have a target man where he can be utilized. I mean, we both know he can play on both wings, left and right, better on the left. And with Rafinha and himself, they're going to be a very exciting team. And free-flowing, playing out of the back, the expectations are he's going to improve as a player, and I'm excited to see what Wales look like. Because you never know, Wales could end up being the Daniel James team once the Aaron Ramsey and Gareth Bale retire. And you never know, they could be that dark horse once again and make a run at a major tournament like they did back at the Euros. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And, like, considering that um, at Spurs we have Ben Davies and Joe Rodon still turning out for Wales, that's always, Mm -hmm. like, a European team that I have um, a bit of a soft spot for after watching so much disappointment with the U.S. national team. So for me, like, I always, like, I'm excited. Whenever I see, like, Wales, Northern Ireland, Ireland, or Scotland make it to a major tournament, you kind of cheer for them because it's like, think about it. Ireland could have Jack Creel. Ireland could have Declan Rice. But guess what? They represent England. Yeah. So when (laughs) It's it's funny because, like, that, so that specific thing to tease something that I'm looking to do in the future is that, um... I need to have a discussion with Ronan Murphy, um, writer for Goal and one of the like chief watchers and of the Ireland national football team. Um, Man, we could have Jackie Grealish with those short ass socks on in that beautiful green and in gold, but no, you get Ida and and, um, Troy Parrott. It's, it's ridiculous. I'm sitting there like, come on, lads. You get one appearance in the England team. Let us have a guy. Let us get it to a major tournament. Last major tournament, we made it to. We played. We had Croatia. We had Spain. And I think we had Italy in our group. And we got whacked by everybody. Hold on. The Croatia coach said, I don't even have to pay attention to the Ireland game. They played 4-4-2 with who? With, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, who was the midfielder? With Glenn Whelan in midfield. I know what they're going to do. Calm <laughs> down. The mofo clowned on us. You know what? Well, we could have had Jack Grealish. It's it's like I say, the hope kills you. Whenever they just they the English say, Oh, this guy's pretty good, what's happened in the team? And then they make one appearance. This you know, this one time switch thing is kinda nice. I'm seeing what Jamaica's doing. Mikel Antonio. Hell yeah. Cocky calf baby. 
But Bailey on the right, Antonio on the left, Ravel Morrison, Manchester United Academy graduate in midfield at Derby County, saving Wayne Rooney's ass. Love that one-time switch. So whenever Jackie Grealish wants to have his own team, make the one-time switch, buddy. <laughs> they don't appreciate you. I'd appreciate those short socks. Um, to to close to close out today. Um, what are your predictions? both scoreline wise for the Newcastle match and Ronaldo goal contributions wise. So fortunately for our, for our saving grace, for our young Bruno Fernandez, the penalties are no more. So for, for that, we'll take a moment of silence. Thank you for that. Poor Bruno. Yeah. He could have broken Wayne Rooney's 252 if he just kept on getting all those penalties, but now, for the next two years, he gets to give them up. So, Manchester United, I did the research. They haven't lost against Newcastle at home or haven't won a game against Newcastle at home until 2015 when they had a 0-0 draw. Every game they faced them, they've either scored two or three goals and done three multiple times. They've only lost once since Ole's taken over, and that's because that stupid Longstaff kid scored against us. One of them, the gingerhead. Anyways, remember when they tried to hold us for $50 million for one of those kids? Thank God that didn't happen. But any hoosies, uh, we're going to win 5-1 because, you know, we, of course we got to give away something stupid. So it's going to be like a, you know, bad header that, you know, Raphael Varane should have headed away, but he didn't. And they get an easy tap. And Ronaldo hat trick. Let's just give him a hat trick. Bruno with a hat trick of assist. And then uh, let's go two penalties because I just, everybody loves a good penalty. Oh, man. <laughs> two, two Ronaldo penalties. Two Ronaldo penalties. He's going to get a tap in because, you know, you just got to rile people up. Maybe he'll do a Chicharito where he kicks it off his own face, and that's the hat trick goal. That would be hilarious. But, but that all is, uh, yeah, that is quite the uh, prediction. <laughs> five one, Ronaldo gets a hat trick. I don't know why, but you just got those butterfly feelings. It's like when you're back in high school and you see the girl that you'll never talk to again. Exactly, Lucy. And yeah, it's going to be magical. It's going to be 5-1, Steve Bruce. You know, he's a former United legend. He knows what the rules are. He's going to tell the boys, hey, lads, it's just not meant to be. Just let Ronnie score a couple of them, all right? And then the next time we have someone to give away, we'll give them a nice cheap discount just so they let Ronnie score a couple. Well, I mean, for anyone in FPL who uses this as advice for getting Ronaldo in, um, you can at Tyler at T Dunn SF Giants when this prediction does not happen. That again is T Dunn SF Giants. So penalties <laughs> and the tapping. I feel like those. Are, you feel like the, the referee for this game is it's Anthony Taylor. He loves giving us penalties. We got two written in, baby. Well, the funny thing, I would I wouldn't be surprised if there's somehow more than one in a game if Ronaldo takes one and Bruno takes the other. Do you know that shit's not going to happen, Bruno? Bruno's that got like a 95% conversion rate and Ronaldo's going to come in. You think Ronnie's going to be giving those up? We're going to have free kicks going into the stands and knocking out kids with braces. You know, say goodbye to good set pieces. Yeah, I mean, that's act that actually is one very annoying thing um, that he is going to take free kicks and oh, he shouldn't take free kicks. Oh, I got to pull my pants up because, you know, he pulls up the shorts. He's got to show off the quads and he gets the the v stance i've seen lots of grown men and they they pretend to be do it 
it'll be great when him and and Rashford do it together, and they're both standing there with the big V's. <laughs> but we all know Ronaldo's going to take it. But you know, Marcus is going to get there. He's going to be like Ronnie. I can do it too. I practice. I saw the videos. I do the same thing you do. Nope, not today. Not today, but but then again, to everybody, it's going to be a fun time. He's back in the Premier League. There's some negativity with that, and I want everyone to be realize that even though he's back in the Premier League, don't forget he's done some shitty stuff, and it's going to be kind of awkward to have that legendary person in the league when he has some issues where he can't even come to the country that me and Chuck are recording this podcast in right now. So that's also an awkward thing. Like, I'm not – it's going to be very interesting – because you know that's in the back of my brain. Because like I've seen that, and it's like, mm. so it's kind of like I'm cheering for this guy, but he's also kind of a shitty person. So that's to put things in perspective. You know, yeah, I mean, it's not, it, all, it's not all it's not all great with Ronaldo. It's nice to have him back in the Premier League, but the reality is, is that uh, he's got some issues, and people shouldn't forget about that either. Yeah, it, I mean, it is an unfortunate compartmentalization that you have to do with watching sports in general because a lot of times um you do end up supporting some pretty shitty people i mean we've already seen um quite a few premier league players get nailed um few who never really would have seen it coming but it just shows again that you never know until you know and Mm -hmm. at the end of the day you just have to make sure that you acknowledge it and don't put someone on a pedestal that they don't deserve and to end it on that marcus rashford he's trying to feed the kids and maintain the kids make sure that they're fed and they're taking care of and families in the lower and in the lower and mid class are being taken care of so for some people they they don't deserve to be on the pedestal but our young king our wonderful philanthropist humanitarian Mr. MBE, Marcus Rashford, he's done a lot of great stuff. He's only a, he's a kid. He's younger than me and Chuck, and he's done so much. So even though we got one shit bag, at least we got Marcus Rashford. So he can score all the goals, break Wayne Rooney's record, and then we can forget about that guy too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's wild what he's done. But, um, yeah, Tyler, thanks for coming into the booth with Chuck today. Um, it's a pleasure for inviting me. We probably rambled on longer than you probably wanted to, but I've always enjoyed chit-chatting with you. I hope everybody that listens to this podcast keep on listening. Chuck is one of the smartest, funniest, kindest guys out there. So there's not a better person to have a show like this to chit-chat and grow the world of soccer with through conversations like this. There's not a better guy, and I'm glad to be on the show. Thanks. I, I appreciate it. And um, obviously um, you're – more than welcome to come on at another point in the future and um then you can find me on twitter at chuck booth sport that is chuck booth sport not sports and uh, i have um gotten to the bottom of all of the hosting issues with the podcast so you now can find it every anywhere that you find listen to your favorite podcasts